Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50, if you've got it. Last week, I had you in Zechariah, so it took many of you like half the message to find Zechariah, okay? And that's okay. So it is a real book. That is true. Um, the book of Hesitations is not a real book, okay? But there is Zechariah. But we're going to be in Genesis today. You should be able to find Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And to make it even easier, we're going to be in the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. So Genesis chapter Chapter 50 is where we're going to conclude this series that I've really enjoyed and I hope you have as well called Time Together. We started by talking about time together with God a couple weeks ago, that we spend time together with God, that we don't want to live in dis. Traction. We want to live in traction and in focus and walk with God. Now, if you remember, I, I brought some furniture from our house. I showed you the exact chair that I spend time with God. I was sitting in it this morning uh, and have every day since I last talked with you about that a couple weeks ago. So find your place with God so that you can really walk in His, His ways. So that was the first one that we had. And then we said, okay, if we get with God, then that's going to enable us to understand ourselves as well. And that was Zachariah last week of saying we want to believe the truth that God says about us, not the lies that the enemy or other people say about us. And many times they're in our ear, but it's not who's beside us, it's who's before us. And we've got to believe him and understand the forgiveness that he brings. Remember, I, I gave you an illustration of put your oxygen mask on first if you're on an airplane, so then you can help other people. So we've been with God, we've been with ourselves, we got our oxygen mask on here. And then now we're going to move to us of being able to interact with other people. You know that you can't just lock the door and not be around other people. Life is people. And we're going to look here at Joseph's story because there is an us with him. Now our us, this is what I mean by this, would be marriage, would be friendships, would be co-workers, would be your parents, would be your kids. Uh, I mean, all the us and all that category, who's your group? Who's your people? We're an us as a church inside and Siena and downtown, the loop, uh, our folks that are digital family, we're an us together as well. So we've got an us component that we've got to understand. Now, here's what Joseph's was. Now, first of all, this was not Joseph of Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, okay? Different Joseph. We're like thousands of years before that. So in the Old Testament, Joseph, son of Jacob, and he has got a real up and down life. He had a dream, told his brothers about the dream and that they were going to all bow to him. Are you a little brother? Do you have older siblings? How do you think your siblings will respond to you're going to serve me one day? I know it's in your heart you want to tell them that, but he had a dream and they said, well, we don't believe it. So we're going to either throw you in a well, we're going to sell you. And so they sell him off to some slave folks, so slave traders. They take him off, but he ends up going to prison. He ends up ultimately becoming the head of Egypt. He's in charge of Egypt. God does all that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And we're going to see that his brothers are going to come back. He's going to give them food and they're going to have an us that they're going to have to put some things back together. Okay. So let's look in Genesis chapter 50. Beginning in verse 15 is where we're going to be. We're going to read 15 to about 18, and then we're going to stop there. Here we go. Now, I love this. Let me give you a couple things. My Bible says the heading there, it says Joseph's kindness. That's a great title for this, Joseph's kindness. Now, he's 56 years old at this point. So I want you to write that down in your Bible. He's 56 years old because by the end of this chapter, he's going to be uh, 110, okay? Now, the message isn't going to take that long, but we're going to jump about 54 years between two verses. Here we go in verse 15. 56 years old, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that's Jacob, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, 
He will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. That's when he was sold to the slave traders. He was 17 years old when that happened. So these guys have been worried about it for, you know, till he's 56 now, okay? So they've been worried about it a long time. They got reconciled when he was in his 40s, but here we go, verse 16. So they sent this message to Joseph. They didn't even call him. They texted him, okay? They DM'd him. They sent him an email. You ever been in a situation where you're kind of scared in the relationship to actually have the face-to-face? So you just text them something? You just email them something? Just you don't want to talk to them. That's what's happening here. Before your father died, they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin and the suffering they caused you. Way back when he was 17, 56 now. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of your servants, the, father, the God of your father. And Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him and bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. So they've got some major things going on in this family where here's Joseph and he's done what he felt like God wanted him to do and he obeyed the Lord, but his brothers have come against him when he was 17. They sold him off in slavery. In his 40s, they come back because they need food. They get reconciled. And now he's 56 and they're still worried about all this stuff. The first thing that has to happen with us and having good relationships is this. We have to discuss us. We have to discuss us. Text message isn't going to do it. Quick email isn't going to do it. A little DM isn't going to do it. A little, uh, uh, you know, here, here, just a little note kind of do it. It is a discuss us. Now, back in the college days, we would call it DTR is what we'd call it. I don't know if that's still the word, but define the relationship. Are we friends or are we friends or are we more than friends or are you my girlfriend or are we engaged or are we married, right? Now, once you get married, the DTRs are open. That's the, you have defined it. It's done, okay? But along the passage, you've got this DTR happening here. And we can take it outside of dating and say that we need in our relationships as well. We need a little bit of a DTR. So here's these brothers, and they're not sure what the relationship is. They betrayed him when he was 17. They came back and received forgiveness and began eating at his table when he was 40. They've been eating at his table for about 15, 16 years, and they're still worried about it. They either haven't truly received his grace or they haven't forgiven themselves, but they're living in fear. So there's got to be a discussion. Relationships are a challenge. Relationships hurt. Relationships can be a problem. Relationships can be difficult. I'll give you a couple quotes. One person said it like this. It was C.S. Lewis. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. See, there's relationships. There's going to be forgiveness. When you discuss us, you're not always on the same page in your marriage, always on the same page with your kids, with your friends, with your family, whatever it is. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife said, a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. Now, how did Billy Graham's wife say that? I mean, she was married to Billy Graham. Ladies, you think your guy's not all that. She's saying that about Billy Graham. I mean, it's like father, son, spirit, Billy, right? I mean, that's how it kind of works. But she said, no, I know Billy. I'll just know Dr. Graham. There's got to be some forgiveness that happens in this relationship. That's what marriage is. Far better, one person said, to forgive and forget than to resent and remember. It's hard on us. One man told John Wesley this. He said, I never forget and I never forgive. 
And John Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin. Forgiveness is a part of it. So what is forgiveness? When we discuss us, what do we got to get to? We got to get to some forgiveness at different levels, of course. But let me define forgiveness for you. Forgiveness is the willful, heartfelt release of a debt someone owes you. Now, take that word by word. The willful, heartfelt release of a debt someone owes you. We'll even use language like this. They owe me, owe me, they owe me an apology. They owe me an explanation. I owe them an explanation. I owe them an apology. You see the debt language even happening in the way we talk about it? And so there's a release of a debt that someone owes you. Now, I'm all for it. Have a discuss. The whole point is discuss. So you got to have that interaction to be able to get that forgiveness right. I'm not just saying you just need to dismiss everything. We need to discuss some things. Some things we do need to dismiss, but we need to be able to heartfelt release. Who do you need to forgive? Your parents, your kids, someone at work, a friend, a relative, yourself? See, their forgiveness is a part of the us part of relationships that we have together. So we've got to do that. Now, I love what Townsend and Cloud say in their book, Boundaries. Page 262, they give four things on how we try to collect the debt from somebody. So somebody owes us an apology, owes us uh, you know, something because they hurt us. How do we try to collect that instead of forgiving it, releasing it? How do we try to collect that? And here's what I want you to do. As we go through these four things, I want you to ask yourself, am I a gold medalist, a silver medalist, or a bronze medalist on these things? Okay. There's going to be some of these you're going to be like, no, I'm not even on the medal stand for that. But some of you are going to be like, I'm a gold medalist in that one. Oh yeah, that's my fave. I like going to that one. Here's what it says. I put it in your listening guide as well. Ways we try to collect. Number one, we try to please them. Isn't that interesting? Somebody that you're mad at and you kind of try to please them and please them and please them and they've hurt you, but your effort is try to please them. And maybe if I please them, it'll make it all go away. Number two, we end up, we try to make them understand we end up where we're like, we're going to go blast on them. This isn't a discussion moment. This is a, I'm going to tell them what's up and wham, we go in at full octane and make the relationship worse possibly. So yes, our whole point is discuss us. So I'm all for, let's have a relationship conversation. But do you see the difference in this one? I'm going to, you better get ready. Here we go, right? A lot of anger in that and doesn't help things. It's more of a missile than medicine. Number three, we try to convince others. Are you a gold medalist in this? Call a couple friends. Well, I can get a lot of people on my side. I'm good at convincing people I'm the right one. And so we end up telling, well, you know what happened? You tell me, and they go, well, yeah, that's right. I'll tell you what, blah, blah, blah. And so you get and you just collect your group, right? Number four, and this one is an interesting one. It says you take it out on someone else. So you're mad at work, so you take it out on your kids. You're mad at your home life, your spouse, or your kids, or you're mad as a single adult. And so you take it out at people at work and you triangulate it. You bring somebody else into the mix. They don't have anything to do with it, but because you're mad at this person, you come home and you let it out here. That's a difficult thing. We all can struggle with that. You have a rough day at the office. You got to chill a little bit before you get home or you're going to take it out at home as well. So we can have work problems and take it out at home. We can have home problems and take it out at work. And this is something I see in our society that I like to just, just kind of open our eyes to a little bit. You'll, you'll go, yeah, I see that too. But let me just kind of reveal it for us. We will be mad at an individual and we'll take it out on the group. So you see something, you go, man, those teenagers, they're always causing problems. Teenagers, because you saw one teenager that did whatever. 
Oh, those old people, they're always so fuddy-duddy. And so you just paint the whole picture of all the old people, right? Ladies, you can do this. That man that hurt me, oh, men. Guys, that woman who hurt me, oh, women. And all of a sudden, we take one seed of one person, and it's really not fair to paint every man with what happened in your life. It's really not fair to paint every woman with every, uh, what happened in your life with your mom or your girlfriend or your wife, whatever it is. It's not really fair. There's a lot of great teenagers. They don't make the news, right, to paint the whole thing. And so what we do is we take it out on someone else. In our society, we often will take it out on a whole group of people. And that's not fair and that's not right. So we've got to get the us discussed and be able to put that together to say, Lord, we want forgiveness to be shared. Here's an interesting quote from a, a lady that was an avowed atheist and author uh, in, in the, the late 80s. Right before she died, she said this, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. Hear this. I have no one to forgive me. She knew she needed forgiveness. She just had no one to forgive me, forgive her because she didn't realize Jesus Christ was the one. See, it all begins with Jesus Christ. How does our relationship with Christ begin? It begins with forgiveness by Christ. We come to him and we say, Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know I've fallen short of the glory of God. I ask you to be my savior, not just a little person in my pocket I can ask questions to. I want you to save me, wash me clean, forgive me of my sins. And then when that forgiveness happens, think of our series, God, now I understand me that I'm righteous in Christ. Now I can issue forgiveness to us. Do you see it? Only secure people can truly love. Only secure people can truly forgive. And that forgiveness comes first from Christ. Then we understand it in ourselves. That was Zechariah chapter 3 last week. And then we're able to share it with other folks. So forgiveness has got to be based in Jesus. Now let me tell you this. And staying on this point, then we're going to go faster through the rest of our points. But I want you to hear this. This is important. Forgiveness can take time. Forgiveness can take time. I've told you two, three times now in the message. He was 17 when his brothers wronged him. He was 40 when he gave them grain when they were starving. And they dined at his table for it could be the next 70 years. His brothers and his brother's kids and family dined at his table that he provided for them. And here he is at 56 and they're still worried about it. And he's still weeping about it says that when Joseph received this message, he wept. Do you know that he wept five times? Five times Joseph wept from chapter 42 to chapter 50 about his brothers and his family. In chapter 42, verse 24, 43, verse 30, 45, verse 14, 50, verse 1, 50, uh, verse 17. Five times he wept because of something that happened when he was 17 that was made right in his 40s. Now he's 56, and you'll see that he'll take care of his family all the way until he's 110. 70 years of them eating at his table, and still there's a weeping that happens. It takes time, takes time for grace to be shown, he was showing it, but to be received as well, it takes time. Let me give you uh, an illustration before our next point as, as just from American history. You know this illustration, you've seen this, but I bet you don't know the end of it. I bet you know the beginning and you don't like it, neither do I, and you don't know the end of it. Here was what happened in 1963, the University of Alabama, a lady named Vivian Malone was a young black woman who was going to enter into the University of Alabama. 
And so here she is walking to go on that first day to integrate the University of Alabama. And if you know your history, it didn't go well in 1963. George Wallace, the next picture, is standing there in front of, he's the governor there between the two police officers. And he is standing there saying, this is not going to happen. You will not come in this school. Finally, the National Guard moved him aside and she came in and the school was integrated, which was great. But do you know the rest of the story? The rest of the story is this, that years later, Governor Wallace went to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, African-American church, and he asked them to forgive him. And he met with Vivian Malone personally, and here's the picture. He said, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me? Now, what's she going to say? She could say a lot, couldn't she? She could say a lot. Here's what she said. I'm a Christian. I grew up in the church, and I was taught that we were all equal in the eyes of God, and I was taught that you forgive people no matter what, and that's why I had to do it. I didn't feel as I had if I, that I had a choice. What did she do? She said, this relationship, I'm not going to paint everybody with it, I'm going to forgive this man and I'm going to walk because Jesus Christ has forgiven me. And if Christ has forgiven me, then I can show forgiveness to everybody else. We know the beginning of the story, but isn't the end of the story beautiful? To be able to see that, it's a great, great thing. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to discuss us. We've got to discuss us and that may involve forgiveness. The next thing we have to do, your next point, write it down, adjust us. We have to adjust us and embrace God's sovereignty and faithfulness. So it's not just discuss us and get everybody on our team. It's adjust us and embrace God's sovereignty and faithfulness. So here it says in, if you'll look in verse 19, is where we're going to start. It says this, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? So he doesn't think he's God. He knows who's God, who, who God is. Verse 20, you planned evil. This is a highlight verse in your Bible. You should have this starred, circled. This is a big one. You planned evil against me. He acknowledges the evil of his brothers. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. He's now the head of Egypt, so he can give grain in this time of famine. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Adjust us. Here's what he says. He says, hey, you did wrong to me. There's no question about it. But the wrong you did to me, God used in my life to put me in the place that I am. So he is now leading Egypt. He has in charge of all the grain. So he's able to help these people live is what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You ready? It's a great quote. You sold me, but God sent me. You sold me. It was evil. But God sent me. Can you look back at your life and see hard times, difficult situations, things you wish wouldn't have happened like they happened, but you know you're who you are because of that. And you might even be where you are because of that, that God puts you in a certain place. Now, there's all different levels. There's tragic levels. There's, I mean, just rip your heart out levels. And then there's just things that didn't work out. But we have to trust the sovereignty of God. So what is sovereignty? Sovereignty is God is number one. God is in charge. God is the highest. God is the supreme. Charles Ryrie says this, the concept of sovereignty involves the entire plan of God and all of its intricate details of design and outworking. God is at work. 
Do you know that the book of Genesis, 30% of the book of Genesis is based on Joseph? 30%. If you could say one of the, I mean, the foundational book, right? I mean, that's the first book of the Bible. 30% is based on Joseph. And when you see Joseph's life, you see sovereignty, 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 sovereignty. Faithfulness, 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 faithfulness. Sent to jail, hey, no problem. We're going to take care of that. I'm going to actually use this. People lying about you with Potiphar's wife, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this. Your brother's doing this, don't worry, I'm going to take care of this. And God just moving through this entire thing. And Joseph has dealt with that. His first son was named uh, Manasseh, which means God made me forget all my troubles. So he's like, the Lord used that in my life. His second son is Ephraim, which means it, because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering, that God even brought fruit. God can do his work in your life, in my life. In the us, we got to adjust on how God does it. When I was graduating college, I went on a couple job interviews. And so the first job interview, I interviewed to be an alarm system salesman. That was my interview. And God bless you if you do that, because I got an alarm and I'm glad you sold it to us. It's great. But I sat there in the chair behind the desk and met with the guys uh, that were going to uh, hire me there. And I gave my best on this, that, and the other. I'm a marketing major. And I did everything I possibly could to, to get a job selling alarms. And they told me no. And so then I went and I, I got another interview. I had a little connection. And so I got an interview and I sat down in the chair again and I was going to sell produce is what I was going to do. My mom always said I'd be a good salesman. So I said, okay, well, I don't like tomatoes, but maybe I could sell them. So I'm sitting there and so I give my best everything and they said no. So I thought, well, maybe I should just stick with this little Bible study I'm doing at A&M. Maybe God's got something else going on in my heart. Maybe I should go to seminary. Now, I don't want to by any means put that I've got a varsity job and you've got a JV job. Every job you have is a ministry. But for me, God had to close those doors. Why didn't they want me? Why didn't they hire me? What, what? Close those doors to put me in the right place to do what God had me to do. And I remember I was at a summer camp and I was ministering to some kids and we were out on this little football field area and it was a, it was a wonderful hot Texas day, but I mean, I was like just where I needed to be. And you know what happened? That company's produce truck drove into that camp and I just stood there and I looked at it and I went, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes God has unanswered prayers, right? God can work things out, and we have to trust his sovereignty, and we have to trust how he puts things together, but we've got to adjust us. Now, let me say one other thing, and we're going to move to the next point. The main character in the story of Joseph is not Joseph. It's God, and the main story character in your life is not you, and it's not me, and we all got to battle that, don't, don't you? I, I think I'm the main character in my story, so what's going to be good for me? I've got to adjust and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Let me give you a closing quote. Elizabeth Elliot, famous Christian lady, her husband, they went as missionaries and her husband was murdered by the people that they went to minister to. They went into a very, very, you know, rural, kind of savages place and they killed him right there. She went back and ministered to them again. That's forgiveness. She got married again and her second husband died of cancer. Listen to her quote. The experiences of my life are not so much, not such that I can infer from them that God is good, gracious, and merciful. 
I've had one husband murdered and another one disintegrate body, soul, and spirit through cancer. It is not what you would call a proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks like just the opposite. Now, here it is, the, the knock-you-down quote. My belief in the love of God is not by inference or by instinct. It's by faith. You hear it? It's not by instinct. Because she's saying, my life looks like God doesn't love me. I'm going to walk by faith that God loves me. And this whole thing of Christianity, I got good news and bad news. It's by faith. You got that? It's by faith. Faith in the unseen. Faith in the things hoped for. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we have to adjust us to realize this is about God's plan being moved out in the world. It's not just about us. Point number three in our us is this. Us is a plus. Us is a plus. Enjoy time together. Enjoy the time that you have together with those that you love. Let it be a great blessing. Look at verse 21. Therefore, do not be afraid, he says to his brothers. I will take care of you, not only you, and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph invited them to dine at his table for 70 years. He had them around his table. Man, who's around your table? Make time for dinner times. Make time to go out to dinner with people and, and have friends. Make time to connect in those ways. Joseph could have built a fence, but Joseph chose to build a table. Joseph could have built a fence. They did him wrong. And he chose instead to build a table. Are you hurt by somebody? Me too. It's life. And there's all different degrees. I get it. But at some point, we have to choose the sovereignty of God, choose to forgive, and say, you know what? I'm going to adjust us, and I'm going to see that us is a plus. I'm not going to just go in a hole. I'm going to be connected with other people. Are you too busy to connect? A recent study was done by a guy named Dr. John Gottman of, of professional, young professional couples in Los Angeles, but it could transfer across the nation. They monitored them for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they found that their average time of a couple actually engaged together, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, was 35 minutes. And most of it is what he calls Aaron talk. Who's going to take out the garbage? Who's going to pick up the kids? Who's going to go to the grocery store? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Us is a plus. Spend time with those you love. I'll tell you this, as a parent of a college kid, it goes by fast. I believe it. I didn't believe it when they were telling me that, but it does. Spend time with that us. Now, here's how you got to do it. I put it in your listening guide, and I'm going to make you say these three words together. You got to set the right pace. You got to have the right place, and you got to show grace. Okay, you ready? There are three circles. They're on your listening guide. I want you to say those three words all together. Here we go. One, two, three. Pace, place, grace. One more time. Pace, place, grace. If you're too busy to have a date night with your wife, you're too busy. If you're too busy to get a meal with friends, you're too busy. If you're too busy to spend time with your kids, you're too busy. If you're too busy to come to church, you're too busy. If you're too busy to be involved in other people's lives, you're too busy, and so am I. We have to be able to say, us is a plus, and we're going to enjoy, enjoy time together. We're going to set the right pace so we can get in the right place so we can show each other grace. You see it? 
And when the pace is messed up, then the grace is messed up because we're too busy and we're too mad. And so we're mad at everybody instead of showing them grace or receiving grace. Pace, place, grace. That's the way it goes. And Joseph brought his, his family around the dinner table for 70 years. Give you a couple things, just application. Car time is good time. I told my family, I said, look, I'm not going to be the Uber driver while everybody's on their phone. Get in the car and whoever's driving, everybody else is just, uh, we'll go there and it's just Uber. So we got to put the phones down and have a conversation. Now, when we go on a three-hour trip, knock yourself out, right? That's great. But let's talk together. I'm not just a shuttle bus driver. Neither's my wife. We're connecting in this moment. When I was traveling speaking, my son, who's now graduating college this year, which is hard to believe, but that'll be amazing. When he was a little guy, I was traveling speaking. He was on over 200 flights by the time he turned two years old. You know what a hassle it is to bring a two-year-old on a flight? Tremendous. But we said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it together. And so we did it together. I tried to make as many possible games as I can make. And I'm, I do a good job with that. I was the head coach of my daughter's softball team. I missed one game, and it was the only game we won all year long, okay? That was it. So people were like, aren't you busy? So that's okay. But you know what? I don't think she's going to be a professional softball player, but to be able to have that connection, to be able to say, I want to be there. I want to be in the stands. What we got to do, and I'll speak to the guys and it's for the gals as well, but we've got to be at home and we got to put down our laptops and close them and put down our phones. And you can't do it, guys, like this. Let me just give you a tip. You can't go <sighs> and start listening. You're going backwards, brother. You're going backwards. And at the same time, you can't just Never let us open our laptops either, okay? <laughs> but to be able to find that balance of connecting to say, I want to connect with you. I want to listen to you and be able to see what you're saying. And let's connect together. The us is a plus. We did it for years in our family, for years in our family, for years in our family. It's not completely over, but it's pretty much over. We called it Friday night family fun night. We'd order pizza or we ordered fajitas. Basically, every Friday night, that's what we would do. And we would stay at home and we'd play games. We'd watch movies. We'd do stuff together as a family. It's Friday night family fun night. Well, guess what? I don't get as many of those as I used to. They're over in a lot of ways. Not always, but in a lot of ways. But the us is a plus and it makes a huge difference. And so my word to you is don't get so busy. You miss the value of us. Next year, most likely, somebody in your family isn't going to be there. And if it's not next year, it's going to be in the next five years. So call your grandparents. Call your parents. Love them. Care for them. Don't do what the brothers did and just send them a text and think that's enough. It's a part of it, but it's not enough. So parents, spouses, singles, don't let work get in front of us. Now let's wrap this thing up with the last point, the last verses of Scripture, verse 22. Here's what it says. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt. Do you hear the us just in that? Joseph lived 110 years old. Now, verse 21, he was 54 
or 56 in that place, sorry, 56. And then between verse 21 and verse 22, we have 54 years take place, okay? So we went from 56-year-old to 22, verse 22, he's now 110. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt, us. Joseph lived to 110 years old. I'll tell you about that in a minute. He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generation. That could be his great-great-grandnephews. And the sons of Manasseh's son, Makara, that they were recognized by Joseph. He knew them. Joseph recognized them. Joseph said to his brothers, and this is important, I am about to die. Okay, we got that. But who's going to take care of you? Joseph? No. The will? No. God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, connecting right in with the patriarchs. Verse 25, so Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath, when God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. At the, and Joseph died at the age of 110, and they embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Here's your final point. The ultimate goal of us is to point to God. The ultimate goal is to point us to God. Here's how I should say it. Dads, moms, your goal in parenting is not your kids to be happy and make sure they can hit a curveball. Your goal is that they're pointed to God. Your goal as a spouse is that your spouse, you're pointing to God. Ladies, you're pointing your husband to God. Men, you're pointing your wife to God. Single adults, you're pointing us to God. As you have, as Paul says, you're not distracted by the things of marriage. You can focus completely on God, pointing to God. Widows, you're pointing us to God as we see the Lord provide for you. Widowers as well. Young people, Timothy, when we get to that book of the Bible, you just say, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness, but with all these things, point us to God. And so Joseph says, at 110 years old, when God comes to your aid, don't depend upon me as the rich uncle, but depend upon God to do his work in you. And he lives, watch this. Joseph's had an up and down life, very painful life in many ways, cried five times over him and his brothers and his family. And he dies at 110 years old, and Egyptian texts refer to 110 as the ideal lifespan. So what does it say? Joseph lived the ideal life as he gathered the us of his family together. Now, I don't want to live to 110. Maybe when I'm 109, I want to live to 110. I don't know. Right now, that doesn't sound appealing. But that was the ideal life, and Joseph pointed, and God will certainly come to your aid. Let me give you this last thing. There's an old movie, and I don't even remember the name of the movie, but it had this line in it, Kelly and I have used in our marriage many, many times, and here it is. I choose us. I choose us. When she wants blue and I want red, I choose us. Because in marriage, you'll fight over the goofiest things. And it will be so taken care of when you just say, you know what? I choose us. Now, after 26 years of marriage, we often say this as well. We don't have the time or the energy to fight about things that don't matter. You know, I choose us. And so I'll tell you this as we wrap up this series. God wants to spend time with you. Do you have a chair? Do you have a place where you spend time with God? If not, you will always have distraction in your life and lack of focus. Spend time with God. And as you spend time with God, like a 
flight attendant would say, put your mask on first, and you begin to breathe the oxygen of heaven and the truth of God, not the lies of this world or the lies of the enemy, then you'll be able to put your oxygen mask on for you. So God, me, and now us, I can now minister and love and care for those that are really, really important to me, even though I'm going to have to show forgiveness at times, and I'm going to need to be shown forgiveness at times, right? It's not always one-way street. And when that happens, that time together puts together a life where God uses us, God speaks to us, and we choose us. Us of the church, us of the home, us of the family, us of the marriage, us of singlehood, us of whatever it is, your workplace. We choose us. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, that there's an us of the body of Christ. Those that have been redeemed, those that have come to know you as Savior, And so we choose that today. We're a church today. We've come together today. Different campuses, different places. But Lord, we come and we say, God, we we need you. We want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that comes from forgiveness of Christ on the cross, paying for our sins. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that today would be the day you'd say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive my sins. I want a relationship with you, God. You can pray that in your seat. You can talk to somebody after the service. We come, Lord, and we pray for that. Lord, let us believe the truth about what you've made us to be in Christ. And Lord, may we choose us, however that's defined, in all of our lives. Let us get some relationships right that need repairing. Let us forgive and also apologize. Don't let it fester. And that we would walk with you, God. If Vivian Malone can forgive, we sure can. If Jesus can forgive, we sure can. And let that be the place that the strength comes from. You are the main character in our story, God, not us. So help us to live like that. In Jesus' name, amen.